Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. Romans 6, 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died has died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you obey evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Um, so that's the first passage. And then the second one is 1 Corinthians six eleven. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So just by way of reminder, last week we talked about justification series is on union with Christ, which is basically the Bible's kind of catch-all category for what it means, uh, what God's redemptive mission in the world is, what salvation is. It's being united to a person. It's not just believing in a set of ideas. It's not a philosophical assent. It's being united to a person. And through your union with that person, everything that's true of Jesus is now true of you. Um, and so we call those things that, that we get, like the package deal that we get with Jesus, the benefits of being in a relationship with Jesus, being united to him. And so we've talked about adoption, and we've talked about justification last week, and we're t- going to talk about sanctification this week. And just by way of reminder, justification is the fruit of Christ's work for you. And sanctification our topic tonight, is the fruit of Christ's work in you. Sanctification is the fruit of Christ's work in you. Okay, so with that said, of all the things that we could uh, come at this topic with and all the ways that we could try to unpack it, here's why I decided to focus on what we're going to focus on tonight. Um, I have never been good at sanctification, I have never uh, been somebody who uh, has really excelled at consistency. I've always struggled with consistency, so I can't tell you how many times that I've tried, for example, to read through the Bible in a year, only to never even start. Like the new year rolls around, and I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to like read through the Bible this year. And really, that whole Bible in a year thing, that kind of started in seminary. Before then, it was like, I'm going to try to read a book of the Bible this year. Didn't even start that. I can't tell you how many times. Like, 
Um, that's happened to me. I can't tell you how many times that I thought it would be a good idea to get up in the morning and have a quiet time uh, only to sleep in because sleeping in just sounded so much more fun than reading a dry, old, boring, ancient Near Eastern textbook, right? Um, I can't tell you how many times that I swore to myself that I would never do that thing again, whatever that thing is for you or for me or those things, we would never do that again, only to be at it once again, sometimes even the same day. Uh, I am not good at sanctification. I am not consistent. It's not, uh, some of us just dispositionally are kind of gifted with being kind of consistent and self-disciplined. That's not me. And so when I looked at myself, the only conclusion that I could come to is that I'm just terrible at this. I'm really bad at that. And so that's the problem that I have felt as I've been a Christian that I've encountered And here's what began stirring in my heart as I was thinking through that uh, over the years. Uh, If the gospel is really good news, right, if the gospel is actually good news, why does it feel so hard to follow God? If it's good news, why does this kind of feel like bad news? Or at least, you know, when I report back my news, it's always bad news. Like, I'm not any good at this. Why am I so clumsy? Why am I falling and failing again and again? And let's be honest, why does it seem so boring? Like, sometimes you think, why does it seem so boring? Am I supposed to be uh, like a monk and only eat like unsalted crackers and go to church all the time and smile all the time, and never say darn, and certainly never say a cuss word, and uh, become a eunuch, and only drink water, you know, all the things that sound fun, right, this, there's this image in my head of like, well, sanctification, holiness, right, you're in this big robe, and you have a weird haircut like Martin Luther, and you talk in Latin all the time, and you know, you memorize Gregorian chants and everybody thinks you're weird, but you just kind of go, well, I have this inner peace that you just don't understand. Um, Like, that didn't seem really appealing to me. And so, if the gospel is good news, uh, then surely the news had to be better than this. Um, It had to be better than me just essentially thinking, like, I'm, I'm no good at this kind of sanctification piece. And what I began to realize is that my, my understanding of myself was totally right. Like, I, I wasn't good at it. Still not good at it. Uh, so my understanding of myself was pretty accurate, but my understanding of sanctification was totally wrong. My understanding of sanctification was totally wrong. And you see, at best, my understanding of sanctification was something like this. And I think that many of you can probably resonate with this. At best, right, my understanding of sanctification was something that I do for God out of gratitude for what He has done for me. I think many of us think that's what sanctification is. Let me see if I can come up with a different word in case you're not familiar with the language of sanctification. I mean, the pursuit of holiness, spiritual formation, discipleship, following Jesus, um, uh, cultivating um, a righteous life, you know. Uh, 
I think most of us, at least I did, was thinking of sanctification as something that I did for God out of gratitude for what God has done for me. God has done so much for me, why can't I at least do this for him? Like, that, that's the logic. And I hear this all the time, you know, uh, in conversations with students, in small groups, um, we have so much to be grateful for. We shouldn't complain. Like the best, you know, we should just be positive for God and all this kind of stuff. And and so here's what I want to start with saying tonight. That is wrong. That is not sanctification. That is not how the Bible talks about sanctification. Um, you know, if you hang around RUF long enough, hopefully you'll pick up that like the Bible has kind of an authoritative uh, role in our lives, like at least we hope that it does. And that takes time to, to cultivate, obviously. It's a lifelong process. But there's a lot of freedom in that too and um, a lot of comfort because um, um, it shapes for us, you know, the things that we have, uh, uh, we, we have this kind of, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? We may have this image or this idea of what something may be, but the Bible comes in and says, actually, no, it's this. And I think with something like sanctification in particular, this is really uniquely good news because we are so hardwired to think that we have to do things in order to make people happy. And we have to do things like we're so insecure about ourselves. Even when somebody does something good for us, we can't even receive it. We have to match it or one-up them. We have to respond in that way, right? Um, So... The first thing I want to say is this wrong. The Bible does not talk about sanctification that way. Of course, the idea of gratitude or being grateful for what God has done, yes, that is in the Bible. And we need to grow in gratitude for that, right? But our gratitude is never the source of our sanctification. Our gratitude is never the source of our sanctification. Because you now know, after being in this series for a while, what the source of our sanctification is. Right? Anybody have any guesses? You just mouth it. Yeah. Union with Christ. That is the source of our transformation. Not you, but your union with Christ. And so what I hope will happen tonight is that when we leave here, we will at least begin to see and to savor in some new ways the good news that is sanctification, not just justification. Let me repackage this another way too. Again, I told you I'd be around everywhere else. I think functionally many of us believe when we talk about the gospel um, that the, the gospel is this thing where Jesus dies on the cross, all that kind of stuff, and forgives you of your sins. Um, and, uh, and you are justified through that, right? Like, he's your justification. But when it comes to the Christian life, like, that's conversion. But when it comes to the Christian life, that's not really about the gospel. That's, like, your response to the gospel. Uh, could be the response of gratitude. Could be the sense of, like, obligation and duty, whatever it may be. And that's usually where, what we kind of uh, sequester off as sanctification, like your pursuit of holiness. Be holy because I am holy, Right? We think of it in these ways. What I hope tonight is that we'll begin to say, we'll begin to see, uh, as our subtitle suggests, it, union with Christ, um, all of Christ for all of life. The gospel restores and redeems everything. 
in your life. Okay, it doesn't just forgive, but it renews and it makes alive. Um, getting ahead of myself some. So we're not going to cover uh, all these texts tonight. Um, they're super complicated in some ways, and there's a lot of other texts that we could look at. Um, but I'm going to highlight a few of the pieces as I go. But basically, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I've got three. Um, I'm, I'm going to just kind of drop some propositions, some truths on us tonight in no particular order and so that we can just kind of sit in it and, and then talk about it in our breakout groups and then obviously too in the co-ed small group. Hopefully this will bring up some stuff to talk about. All right, so the first thing that I want to say is that uh, justification justification is not enough. Justification alone is not enough. You may remember like the longings that I've been mentioning in the past couple of weeks, how our union with Christ meets uh, these deep needs, these kind of existential longings that we have. It, it attends to those needs. And so with adoption, it was our alienation and, and uh, us as orphans, and we now belong to uh, the family of God and united to Christ. Justification deals with our not-enoughness, our sense of being guilty and naked. Who told you that you were naked? Nobody, right? Nobody told you. You just knew. Because shame and guilt, not enoughness, it's just in there. Uh, and uh, our union with Christ speaks to that, right? We are, we are not naked. We, we remove the fig leaves and then we're put, uh, Christ puts his robes of righteousness on us. We get a new wardrobe. Well, sanctification uh, deals with this nagging question. Am I ever going to change? Am I ever going to change? Okay, so here's what I mean by justification is not enough. Uh, your record, right, may be clean now. Your guilt and shame, as we learned last week, was nailed to the cross. And you, you know uh, that you now have the verdict of not guilty that has been declared true of you if you're in Christ. Your sins are not held against you. It's clean, right? But every night, even as a justified person... Uh, if you're in Christ, every night you lay your head down. I do this every night, and I just assume that everybody else does if you have just any amount of self-reflection. Every night you lay your head down on your pillow and you think to yourself, um, okay, so I have been forgiven, but will I get better? Will I change? Can I be the person that God wants me to be? Why do I still struggle with the same stuff? Do I just kind of have this record over here um, and then the agency and the activity and my will and all the stuff that I do now, there's just kind of no hope for that. It's just a repeating cycle of like, I'll just always kind of be this way and hopefully I can keep it hidden enough. I know God accepts me. If other people find out about me, they won't accept me, right? That is the nagging question that we all have. Will I ever change? Am I ever going to change? Um, uh, that's a need that we all have, right? It's a question we all have and a need that we all have. So I have Christ's record, but I'm asking myself, will I ever change? And so what you need is more than justification. You need sanctification. Justification is not enough. There is more to your depravity and your fallenness than just the need to be justified. You need to be made new. So... 
This is a made new union. Last week was um, a made right union. This is a made new union. You need sanctification, which is Christ's work in you to wake up and to follow him. So think of it this way, to come up for air a little bit. Um, let's say, many of you know that uh, LeBron James is the greatest basketball player to ever play, the greatest Laker to ever don, the purple and gold. Uh, a, a new Cleaver would enjoy that. Uh, he's also my favorite player. Um, let's say, uh, again, for argument's sake, that you are supposed to be LeBron James. Like, that is what is required of you as a human being. You are supposed to be LeBron James. Um, You're not, obviously. I'm not, obviously. And so uh, one day, LeBron comes up to you and he says, Hey, hey, Cleaver, I've, uh, I've talked to Adam Silver and I've talked to the other powers that be and they've agreed to credit you, Justin Cleaver, with all my accomplishments. Uh, So now you, Justin, uh, now you are a four-time NBA champion, soon to be five, six, seven, eight. Uh, You, Justin, are a four-time MVP. You, Justin, are a four-time finals MVP. You, Justin, are a two-time Olympic gold medalist. And the list goes on and on and on. That's just to name a few, right? LeBron's record is now your record. LeBron's record is now my record. I am a four-time NBA champion. But then LeBron comes back to me after telling me this news. You know, he drops that news on me and he comes back and he says, oh, by the way, we have a game next week and you need to be ready to play. Now, if you ask Ben Grasty, he would tell you Chase will be fine because, you know, we've got a history of me working him on the basketball court. But that's a different story. But... Most of us, you know, like gulp, I got a game next week. I'm actually playing. So listen, I may have the stats of LeBron. I may have the record of LeBron, but I still don't have the game. I can't perform like LeBron. So the sanctification question is, is how do I get that game? Because Jesus got game. You know, he got game, blah, blah, blah. Okay, uh, how do I get that game? It's an old movie. It's a great movie. Um, the same is true of justification, right? I may have Christ's record, his forgiveness, but I don't have his game. And I'm supposed to follow him. I'm supposed to be ready to play. I'm supposed to walk with him and after him and obey him. Um, so how do I get that game? And the answer is, is sanctification. I need a game. I need to be made new. I need to be made a new person with new game and new skills, right? So the first thing is that justification is not enough. You need to be sanctified because you got to be ready to play. That's what Jesus is saying, right? The second thing I want to say is that sanctification is not something that you do. Sanctification is not something that you do. Okay, now here's the thing. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard I try, no matter how many shots I take, no matter how much effort I put in the gym, I will never be LeBron James. I could shoot 10,000 shots a day for 10 years straight. 
I will never be LeBron James. Okay, but what if LeBron somehow inhabited me? He inhabited you. Like you got his DNA. And now, functionally, what this means is that his ability is your ability. His ability is your ability. That's kind of like sanctification. It's like in Space Jam. I'm sorry for all the basketball illustrations, but just on, just on, you know? Just on. Game is hot tonight. Um, it's like Space Jam when the Monstars, uh, they get their super basketball powers from stealing the talents from the NBA greats. They become them. They play like them. It's in them. This is why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Okay, so Christ inhabits you and you inhabit Christ. You, John 15 language, you abide in the vine. We are the branches, he is the vine. Whoever abides in me, you know, that language, Christ lives in us. And all this to say is that sanctification cannot be something that you do because you are not capable of it. You are not capable of becoming LeBron. LeBron has to inhabit you. You have to have his DNA. So sanctification, uh, rather than something that you do, it's something that the Spirit does in you through your union with Christ. Okay? One reason... Um, one reason why this is the case, and, and this is, I feel like we could spend an entire sermon on this, but one reason why is because true humanity is not lived in isolation. It's not lived autonomously. Every cultural narrative that exists right now that has any kind of prominence tells you the exact opposite. It's actually ingrained in the seal there in Sproul Plaza. Like, autonomy is everything. The truest human beings are totally independent. The truest human beings are, are free from any kind of constraints. They can be who they want to be and follow their own heart. That is not the case, according to Scripture. True humanity is not lived in isolation. It's not lived autonomously, but it's lived dependently. Sanctification is not something that you do. So you becoming holy, You becoming sanctified is not something you do on your own, but rather something that Christ does in you through your dependence on him, through your dependent union on him. Sanctification is, for one thing, learning to live an increasingly dependent life upon God and depending less on yourself. That's what true humanity is. And just for the record, do you know where we have the picture of true humanity? It's in Jesus. Jesus is the true person. And what dwells within Jesus in perfect harmony? His divine nature and his human nature. His human nature dependent on the divine. The divine caring for, comforting, directing the human perfect harmony, right? He embodies for us what true humanity looks like. Our dependence upon God, a creaturely dependence upon God. And so just to point, a, uh, point out a few things from the text that we read tonight. Um, the first uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, I guess we're going to start in the reverse order that Karina read them. 
let me just let me just read this. But you, you were washed. Listen to this too. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul is saying that you have been sanctified. Further point that sanctification is not something that you do. Because if it has been done in the past, you did not do it. You have been sanctified. Past tense. So again, sanctification, not something that you do. Christ sanctified you through his life and death and resurrection. And it is a reality that is true of you now, whether you feel it or not. And that's really important, okay? Because I think that why that's so important is because sanctification, this realm, our, our walk with Jesus is where so much guilt and shame comes in because we're constantly thinking, I'm not enough. We just kind of turn inward and we start hiding again. We feel, uh, we, we start clothing ourselves in fig leaves again. And what the Bible is saying here is like, shut up. Like Christ sanctified you. Like, he is making you new. He made you new, and he is making you new. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's Jesus. It's Christ in you, okay? It's not something that you do. All right, second, let's look in Romans um, 6, verses 1 through 11, uh, where Paul is, is kind of furthering that argument a bit that we see in 1 Corinthians. And so let me just point out a couple of verses here. Let's look at 1 through 3. And we could spend so much time on this because Paul is so confusing here, uh, but hopefully I can kind of connect some of the logic that he has for you. What shall we say then, starting in verse one, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Let me just stop right there. The fact that Paul even has to make that point, I want you to let that marinate for a second. The fact that Paul has to make that point, what he's saying is that the gospel is such good news that you might even have a tendency to think, so wait a minute, I need to sin because the more that I sin, grace abounds. Like, that's how good the good news is. And Paul's saying, wait, 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 hold up. Let me, let me just help you, like, think about this a little bit. So he's preempting the questions they would have. They're just following his logic, right? So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul, verse 2, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So let me see if I can unpack this a bit. Paul is connecting right here your baptism as proof that it makes no sense for you to continue in sin. Now again, whether you feel this is beside the point. The Bible is authoritative. It's true. It's saying what is true of you. He's connecting your baptism as proof that it makes no sense for you to continue in sin. Here's what he's saying. Your baptism is the definitive breach of sin's like dominion over your life. It has no power over you, even though you may feel like it does, because sin died. It was put to death in Christ's death. Right? And so to live in sin according to Paul here, it's not only wrong, that's not really even the point he's making, uh, but according to Paul, it's like living in a state of contradiction. So his point is not so much shaming you, like how could you, you know, how could you not be grateful for what God did and now you're out hooking up with people on the weekends, right? He's not so much shaming you as much as he is dumbfounded by what he's hearing. 
Here's an example, right? It's like me telling you, it's a very basic example, like me telling you that you need oxygen uh, to live and that you're able to breathe and that you have oxygen. There's oxygen to be breathed, right? And then you say, okay, and then you proceed to choke yourself. That's the equivalent of what Paul's getting at here. It's like you're living in a state of contradiction. So he's hearing it. It's like, wait, wait, you're not getting this. Of course you wouldn't continue in sin because you, sin has no power over you. You can't. You have been sanctified. So why are you living in a state of contradiction? Why are you choking yourself when you can breathe? It's not true of you. Sin has no power over you, so breathe. That's the logic, right? Then let's look at verses 5 through 6. Um, let me read this for you real quick. For if we have been united, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united to him with a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. So here Paul is saying that your sanctification is just as certain as your justification. So this whole like, man, am I following Jesus? Am I, you know, am I actually, am I changing? You know what Paul says? Yes, you are. You are changing, whether you feel it or not. And you have been justified. Your sins are forgiven and you have been sanctified. Your sanctification is just as certain as your justification, which is just as certain as your adoption, which is just as certain as your glorification, which we'll get at in another week. So just as you died in Christ, so you certainly are raised with him to new life by his resurrection. So what he's saying there, and sorry, this is kind of complicated. Through Christ's death on the cross, your sins died and it's dominion over you. Through his resurrection, you also have been raised in newness of life. And that is true of you. What died is dead in Christ. What lives is alive in Christ, period. That is true. Here's the point. Sanctification is not something that you do. Sanctification is something that Christ has done. Thus, it is certain. It is a promise. It is a promise, okay? You don't have to live in guilt and shame. So let me just confuse you a little more as we kind of bring this to a close. Point two is sanctification is something, uh, is not something that you do. Uh, Last thing I want to say, sanctification is something you do. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Just kidding. Um, uh, sanctification is something you do. Let me um, let me read verses eleven through uh, fourteen. I may not go all the way to fourteen, but I'm going to start with eleven. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members 
to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Don't weaponize your body for evil. That's what Paul's saying. In woke terms, that's what Paul's saying. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, as your members to God, and, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin has no power over you because you are under grace. And so here's what I mean. Sanctification is something you do. Something that's really common when you read the Bible that theologians will put on is the indicative and the imperative. Another way to think of it, think of it is the promise and the practice. Everything that Paul says there in 11 through 14 follows what he says in 1 through 10. 1 through 10 is the indicative. 1 through 10, what is saying, that's the promise. This is true of you. This is true of you. You don't have to make it true of you. Therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your body. What Paul is saying is that because of who you are, you should now live in accordance with who you are. If you are adopted in Christ, you should live as an heir to the throne, one who's going to inherit an and inherit all the good gifts of God. If you are justified in Christ, you should live as one who doesn't cower in shame because you're not perfect, because Christ is your justification. And if you are sanctified in Christ, you should pursue holiness, not as somebody who's always afraid that they're going to mess up, but because you are holy because Christ has made you holy. And you should engage other people's life in their walk and their pursuit of holiness, not shaming them to, to, to do better because Christ did so much for them, but because Christ did everything for them, and therefore they can live in grace as they walk towards holiness. The promise and the practice, you practice, you have game because Christ has game. He is in you. You are not alone in this. Um, It's not an autonomous endeavor. Sanctification is something you do, not because... Uh, you have to meet him halfway. It's not partitive, right? It's not he does part and you do part. Sanctification, right? When you are dead in trespasses and sins, that means you need to have your sins forgiven and then you need to be resuscitated all of your life. So you need to learn how to walk again. Dead people don't walk. So how do you start walking? Jesus makes you walk. Justification and sanctification are a gift that is received or passive received in our union with Christ, but sanctification is a gift that is received that activates. It activates you. The whole person is renewed to newness of life, but it is all Christ's work. So when you start seeing yourself doing sanctification, it's not you. It's Christ in you, waking you up, making you alive, pumping blood into a corpse, where the things that you're worried about this year, you weren't worried about last year because Christ has been at work in you. And so let me just end with this last little bit of application. Um, This is something I've been thinking about. God is working. You have been sanctified and you are being sanctified, right, through the work of the Spirit in your union with Christ. God is at work. That is a promise. It's a guarantee. But how does that truth change the way that you like 
stop criticizing yourself and you stop judging other people. Because when you, when you look down on yourself and where you're at in this whole process, like, yeah, it doesn't mean that, like, you don't see area and room for growth or whatever. But when you think that, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going anywhere, you're actually spitting on the work of Christ in your life. Because God is at work in your life. And so what this is actually exposing is that you're just not comfortable with the way God is working in your life. And what you wish would happen was that your sanctification, you got a, you know, you look like LeBron because you hit the gym and you got an eight pack and you got biceps and you got, you know, all the things that you want, you know, and everybody just looks at you and they go, man, that so-and-so's got it together. But that's not how God works. That's not how God works. And so it's just exposing that your discomfort in how God is sanctifying you and how God is waking you up. Uh, to pursue holiness. And, and the way that he's probably doing that is through your weakness. The thing that you're struggling with over and over and over again, that's where God is really at work. The thing that you think, man, I'm not, I'm not really following Jesus right now, that is where God is really at work because in your weakness, that's where his strength shines. That's where his grace and the sufficiency of it shines in your weakness. So think about that. Think about that. If sanctification is a promise, it's, it's not an option. Um, I guess, you know, one last point, I, I, a point that I came across earlier is like, you know, the, all the Bible is about a covenant where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. It's not a contract. And the difference between a covenant and a contract is basically conditions. A contract says, if you will be my people, I will be your God. Or if you will be my God, then I'll be your people. God never talks that way. I will be your God, and you will be my people. That's the language of a covenant. That's marriage language. We are together. One last thing I would add. Sanctification is a lot like a marriage, but a marriage doesn't just end on the day that you get married. Right? A marriage grows in intimacy and knowledge of the other person and strengthens one another. Um, So too, our marriage with Jesus and our sanctification. All right, I'm going to end there and pray for us. Lord, we thank you, um, and we trust that you will teach us by your Spirit what we should know from your Word. Change us through it, and uh, um, give us confidence as we take steps in pursuit of you. but let our confidence rest in your work in us and not in our own work. It's not our own ability. Um, We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.